On today's show, well, looky here. Turns out Martin Wintercorn is still involved with Volkswagen after all. Tesla officially launches the Model X later tonight. And why the UAW contract with FCA is going down in flames. All that and more coming right up on AutoLine Daily. This is AutoLine Daily for September 29th of 2015. You know, there's a great scene in the hilarious movie Princess Bride when the supposedly dead hero Wesley is brought to a miracle worker, Miracle Max, who's supposed to bring him back to life. Miracle Max says, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. So what's all that got to do with the automotive industry? Well, it turns out that Martin Wintercorn, who stepped down as CEO of Volkswagen AG, is only slightly dead. Whereas we all thought that he was gone from the company for good, he's still heavily involved with Volkswagen. Bloomberg reports that Wintercorn is still on the supervisory board of Porsche Automobile Holding SE, where he serves as chairman of the executive board. Remember, due to a quirky ownership structure, Porsche Automobile Holding SE actually owns a majority of Volkswagen AG. That means Matthias Mueller, the new CEO of Volkswagen AG, will be dealing with Wintercorn as he tries to manage the scandal that blew up on Wintercorn's watch. And Wintercorn's involvement in the company runs even deeper than just the Porsche board seat. He also serves on the boards of Audi, Mann, Skoda, Bentley, and Scania, and even the professional soccer team, FC Bayern München, just to name a few of his other connections. Hey, the much-anticipated launch of Tesla's Model X kicks off tonight. You can even watch a live video feed, if you please. The first ones to roll off the line will be the high-end Signature Series, priced at about $130,000. Hopefully, the base model will be a lot more affordable. Maybe the same as a Model S? Maybe about $75,000? We'll have to see. And what about those gull-wing doors for the rear passengers? Will we hear about people having to crawl out through the front doors or rear hatch because the doors won't swing open enough in a tight parking spot? Well, at least we will not have to wait long for these answers. And based on the strong amount of pre-orders, seems like customers really don't mind at all. Still to come, Mercedes may come out with a small van to compete with the Transit Connect, the ProMaster City, and the Nissan NV200. Auto Line Daily is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, your journey, our passion, Dow Automotive Systems, breakthrough technologies for lightweight vehicles, and by Pure Michigan, leading the automotive world in intelligent connected vehicles. We run on brain power. Global sales of Mercedes commercial vans have been trending upward since 2009, and the automaker looks to keep that going as it introduces the midsize Metris to the American market. It's already sold in other countries as the Vito, but Mercedes felt that that name wouldn't resonate in the U.S., so it was changed to Metris for the metropolis areas the vans are expected to roam. You may be wondering why the company didn't bring over its other small commercial van, the Satan, like a number of other automakers have. 
And if it does, it will add 70 other dealers nationwide on top of the ones that will already be selling the Metris. Mercedes says it's going to make a decision next year. The Metris can be had in either a passenger or a cargo version. Mercedes expects a 50-50 sales split. But to avoid the U.S. chicken tax, which is 25%, those models will be built in Spain, then shipped to Germany, where they're going to be disassembled, then shipped to the U.S., where they're going to be reassembled at the automaker's plant in Charleston. As for customers, Mercedes doesn't see many private buyers purchasing a Metris. Rather, most of those sales will go to taxi, shuttle, limo, and delivery services. And for those interested, we're going to have our driving impressions of the van coming your way very soon. The FCA UAW contract could still go down in flames, but workers at the Warren Truck Plant, which makes Ram pickups, just voted in favor of it. But that was the production workers. The skilled trades workers actually turned it down solidly. A compilation of the votes so far that were put together by the Detroit News shows the contract is being rejected in most plans. Well, here's my Autoline insight. Dennis Williams, the president of the union, oversold what he would deliver to his members. Ever since his inauguration speech last year, when he took over the reins of the UAW, he promised that he was, and I'm quoting here, committed to eliminating the two-tier system. That's the policy that pays new hires less money than the legacy workers. And Williams hammered that theme home time and again. But when UAW workers finally saw the contract, it clearly keeps the two-tier system in place. And I think that's a key reason why the national agreement looks like it's going down to defeat. I think it was a mistake to make a promise to his members that he had no intention of keeping. Hey, coming up next, a look at when and how Volkswagen started developing its cheating software. For the people at Dow, racing is a sport and a science. We enjoy one and learn from the other. But like most competitive people, we like winning at both. This is the human element at work. Dow. Volkswagen's emissions cheating scandal dominated the headlines last week, and it was the hot topic on Autoline After Hours. One area we really got into was trying to figure out how and when VW started cheating. Check it out. I figured that this cheating scheme started circa 2006. And the reason I say that is the recalled models start with the 2009 model year, which really means around September of 2008. And Chubby, you'd know, having been in car companies, I got to believe you got to have this cheating scheme nailed down at least a year ahead of that. Well, well it, it might even be further than that because it has to do with NOx. And most diesels uh, have the urea NOx catalyst, which is an expensive piece of hardware. It's, it it adds weight, it adds bulk, it's cost. one more it's cost. It's one more thing that the uh, the customer has to fill up and you know keep this urea tank full. Not that it's you know that onerous, but nonetheless, it's one more thing. So, and most diesels have this urea NOx catalyst. Uh, VW, I think, thought they could get away without it. Now they have a smaller car, a smaller engine, so their overall NOx production is going to be less than say in 
uh, a BMW X5, you know, which is a much bigger vehicle. But I suspect they were probably close to the cusp. Mm -hmm. But somewhere in the development process, and it wasn't three months before they went into production, they had to make a decision on, are we going to put the urea NOx catalyst in here or aren't we? In fact, you know, keep in mind that on these emission tests, there's sort of a precursor to all of this. You have to do this long-term durability test. And I'm forgetting now, in the old days, emissions had to be... Uh, had to stay within the limits for 50,000 miles and maybe up to 100,000 miles. Today it's 100... Uh, Might be 125 even. Yeah, it's over. It's at least 100 and I want to say 10 or 15. But here's the way you do that. You identify an engine family and there's regulations for what makes an engine family. And then you uh, run those cars for this 125,000 miles. You measure their emissions every 5,000 miles, I think it is. And then you look at the emissions at the end of the test versus the beginning of the test. Now, you know, catalysts deteriorate with time and they're not quite as effective at the end as they are at the beginning. Everyone gets that. And so let's say the catalyst has deteriorated by 50%. So the emissions have doubled over the course of the test. That means that when you're calibrating the new car, if the limit is 0.04 NOx, you actually must make 0.02 in your initial test because the assumption is they're going to double over life. Well, doing the 125,000 mile durability test takes time. And you have to have the answer to what your deterioration factor is going to be. And can I make it without a urea cat? Can't I? Yeah. You know, that's not done three months before production. And of course, you can watch that entire show right now on our website or on our YouTube channel. But anyway, that wraps up today's report. Thank you for making AutoLine Daily a part of your day.